Hello and welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for the Scottish AI Alliance. I'm Will Millership, Communications and Events Officer, and today we've got three guests with us and we're going to be talking about the AI Accelerator Program at Edinburgh Innovations. My first guest is Katie Guthrie, the Program Manager at Edinburgh Innovations. And alongside her, I have Amy Ma, founder and CEO of Danny Robotics, and Richard Cruzier, the co-founder and managing director of Reoptimized Systems. This year's AI Accelerator program is a focus on climate and climate change. So, um, you know, Katie, congratulations on the launch of your latest program. And I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners a little bit more about this cohort, uh, the program in general, and particularly the three themes you chose to focus on. Okay, thanks very much, Will. Yes. Um, so this is actually the sixth cohort of the Accelerator running out of the University of Edinburgh. Um, and this time we've picked three themes to select companies under. We've got climate, as you mentioned, we've got health and we've got AI for good, which is possibly the broadest of the, of the topics, but we've interpreted really to mean AI that's addressing um, kind of social inclusion or also any kind of companies that are making the actual processes through which AI is running better as well, more inclusive. Um, but the, the climate theme, really, we've selected that because it's so broad, it, it, it touches everything. Um, and it, it actually has given us the chance to select companies in really quite different um, sectors uh, and, and across the globe. So we, we had 120, over 120 applications this time round, um, and we've selected 12 companies, so four for each of the three themes. Um, and with the climate theme, it's really great. We're working with um, the Edinburgh Earth Initiative, which is a part of the university, but it's bringing together um, all the different pockets of work going on across the university, but also is outward looking. So it's kind of multidisciplinary um, academics, but also recognising the need that we need to bring lots of different people together and different types of people together from across industry, finance and research to really drive the change that's required. Um, um, and the innovation and development and adoption of, of technology. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Katie, for giving us some background. And yeah, as I mentioned before, climate is going to be the focus of this podcast. So I'm very excited to you know welcome you both. And we'll start with you, Amy. Um, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? You know, tell us a bit more about yourself and your journey. Um, particularly, you know, I see you come from a the banking sector. So what 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 took you to starting Danu Robotics and working in the climate sector. Yeah, absolutely. So I am an environmentalist and uh, I have always been very passionate about um, environmental protection and animal rights. However, around 10 years ago, when I first graduated from uni as a accounting and finance student, I wasn't sure what is my career goal? So I just uh, did uh, what is the uh, right thing to do. I took a training um, training program at Citigroup as a trainee fund accountant. And uh, around that time, I figured out this is not something I want to do. Then afterwards, I progressed to study another three different uh, master degrees in uh, mathematical science and computer science to try to find out what is it I really 
passionate about what I want to do as my career. And during that time, I was working in risk management and uh, for a number of uh, large banks. Still, I couldn't find my passion. I was doing well and uh, I have a career progress, but it clearly doesn't feel it's my passion. So in 2020, I did a, a research to find out what happened to my recyclings. All this recycling I did at home, did it being reused or remanufactured? So through that research, I the, the, the outcome of that research is extremely underwhelming and heartbroken. And uh, clearly the recycling chain is broken. One of the areas I identify is uh, manual ways of sorting. I was shocked. This is a current technology. We're still hiring people to sort out waste. Waste in the global waste management industry is a worldwide phenomenon. It, it, uh, it was a shocking uh, discovery with uh, today's technology. Waste management is so behind the curve. That is where general robotics come from. We are clean tech and we make sure we're developing our technology using sustainable material and clean energy and really try to uh, automate the recycling process, significantly increase the recycling reuse and the circular economy circle. That's all it is. It, now I finally found my passion. It's my true passion. I know. I love it. I I am so happy every day. I absolutely love it. Thank you, Amy. I can you know you can really see the passion come out of you when you speak about it. It's really amazing to see you know someone with such passion for their for their subject. And you know you found that niche and you found the problem with a backwards kind of um um industry and a, you know working to make it better. So it's really you know in, really great stuff you're doing. So over to you, Richard. I was, um, you know, reoptimize systems a bit. You know, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about um, about uh, what it is reoptimize systems does for wind turbines, and um, and what kind of motivated you to get into the climate sector as well. I see you're from a, more of an engineering background. Yeah, that's right. So, um, well, my background was electrical engineering, and at one time I I did a PhD at the University of Edinburgh, and. That was actually in wave energy, and I was designing permanent magnet machines for for wave energy devices for getting energy from waves. And at the time, I met um, our co-founder, who's called, uh, well, his actual name is Estanislao Juan Pablo Echenique Subiabra, but we call him JP. So uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, I met him during the PhD, and then we went our separate ways a little bit for a while. I Basically, I've spent my whole life in the uh, renewable energy sector in one way or another. But um, after working in the tidal energy company, I, I decided to go into business with the, the co-founder, JP, who is the originator of our, our technology. It's uh, that's at the core of Reoptimize Systems. So Reoptimize Systems essentially provides new control system settings for wind turbines that improve their efficiency. So basically put more energy into the grid. Um, and we're not doing that by swapping out the hardware in the turbine, like the control system, or, or even changing the software. We're just kind of tuning up the, the settings. So what you'll find at the minute is the turbines will all have very similar settings. 
um, almost identical, in fact, throughout the fleets of, like, whenever they deploy these turbines, they'll put very similar settings. And what we do is tailor each setting to each individual turbine so that it takes account of that particular turbine's location and what would be called like the inflow conditions for the wind and also the turbine itself. So, so as the turbine ages, for example, um, it, it, it's how it, how it operates changes. So, for example, I'll give an example as the as the blades wear down. So the blades wear down over time on a on a on a turbine, partly through just the rain and uh, it hits those raindrops very fast, so it wears down the blades. And that actually changes something called the CP lambda curve of the turbine. And if you change that, that means you actually need different control settings to get the best out of that turbine. But not only that, we're also taking a holistic view of the whole turbine. So looking at the whole system end to end. And that's where the machine learning aspect and AI things that we do come into play, because it's something that's impossible for a human to do. So we're looking at the whole system from rotor to the generator to the power electronics and how that power is exported to the grid and finding the best settings for each individual turbine that produce the most power. But at the same time, unlike a lot of other optimization strategies, we're actually reducing the, the, the loads in the turbine. So making that turbine live longer at the same time is actually producing more energy. Wow, I never knew there were so many intricacies into kind of the detail you go into in terms of turbines and the different the different effects of, yeah, as you said, the different locations as it ages. And no, it's really, really interesting stuff you guys are doing as well. So I'll go over to Amy for the next question. I would like to hear a bit more about the kind of um, the technology behind the systems you use and why in particular you've um, chosen these technologies. So Amy, you know, you said you were looking at uh, an industry which was quite backwards anyway. So what kind of solutions is your team at Dano Robotics using and why did you choose them in particular? Yeah, so we are using uh, AI-driven vision-guided robotic visa sorting system. The reason we are choosing uh, using uh, robotics and AI is that um, the computer vision uh, technology is quite mature nowadays. Uh, and using computer vision to identify waste items actually is just a, an application of existing technology. So it was not very difficult to enter this field. So choosing robotics is uh, quite a nature uh, solution because visa sorting is a very <clears throat> dirty, dangerous and dull job. It's not a aspirational work for any people to do. And the work itself is extremely dangerous and has a uh, inherent hazard. A lot of people quit the job because they have a motion sickness as the conveyor constantly moving and the people have to pick out certain items at a very high speed. And uh, for the recycling companies, it is extremely costly operation. At the moment, it costs them £2,000 per person per month. Even with this kind of cost, they cannot hire enough people to do this kind of a job. And with people on job, they got bored, tired, distracted. What that means is uh, the output of a recycling process is highly contaminated and polluted, resulting in all this uh, uh, polluted output either ending up in landfill or sent to incineration plant 
either way causing very high pollution and CO2 emission. So it, the whole process at the moment is extremely broken and uh, inefficient. The, the, the robotics is just a perfect. They never get tired. They don't care what kind of thing they do. They just, uh, that's it. Non-stop, 24-7 sort of ways. It's just a perfect operation for robotics. And we got a strong positive feedback just from a wide range of uh, recycling companies and the local councils. That's really, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, it's an obvious fit, really, isn't it, to kind of get get rid of this kind of dirty and difficult work. Just quickly, I was I was wondering what's the um what's the efficiency like versus what you know how do the robots at the moment stand up against human sorters? Is it kind of more efficient, uh, less efficient, but improving? Or where would you say you are now, Amy, with that? It's uh, definitely it's improving. Eventually, it will become more efficient. So at the moment, based on the feedback from our potential customer, the human sorter, the, the picking rate is 10 to 20 pick per minute. But our robotic system, we have three models. The model one can achieve 40 picks per minute. And we are working towards to developing model three that potentially can achieve 140 picks per minute. That will give recycling company a significant boost in productivity and efficiency. Yeah, brilliant. Those numbers are great in terms of kind of what, what it could do for recycling in general. So over to you, Richard. Um, a similar question, uh, just a bit more about the um, the tech you use, I see on your website, you refer to kind of uh, machine learning and analysis of high resolution data. So can you tell us a bit more about the kind of the the techniques used um, and kind of what makes your technique, your solution um, better than others? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I guess best way to do that is to give an overview of the process that we go through when we're going to optimize a turbine. And so what we do is we, we have well, the first step is really to build a generic model of a turbine using traditional modeling tools. Um, and that's the thing that has a bit of an upfront cost for us. It takes months and months of effort to get that and reverse the control, reverse engineer the control system and uh, get the right sort of base parameters for all the different simulation components like the blades and, and so on. But then the next stage for us is to actually get the SCADA from a turbine. So SCADA is what we is the terminology used for the data, basically the data that the turbine produces. So it records the wind speeds, the, the currents and voltages in the generator and how fast the turbine's going. So all this data. So in our case, what's typically recorded on a wind turbine is 10 minute average data. So you just get a every 10 minutes you get the, the values of the data. But we're actually using one hertz data, or at least a, a minimum of one hertz to do our optimizations. And what we do is we take that data and we do a kind of machine learning system identification process to then tailor that generic model that we built over months to that specific turbine. And once we have that, uh, we then apply our own proprietary algorithm, which is patented actually. It's our, we call it the global loss minimization algorithm. We apply that uh, using our software, which combines a few tricks and things that we basically, I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> uh, but uh, we use some machine learning stuff in there combined with that algorithm. And out of that pops new settings for the turbine. But that's not the last stage in the process. So the next stage is then 
that gives it sort of at fixed wind speeds. We then have to take those, put it back into a simulation model of that turbine that does a dynamic model and, and shows how the turbine will behave with a time series of, of, of wind inputs. And we make, do that to make sure that we're not increasing the pitch action, you know, we're not causing the turbine to wear out faster. We're not increasing the loads. Hopefully we're reducing the loads. And there there is some more uh, machine learning aspects of that in terms of how we do the simulation and make sure we're doing an accurate simulation. Um, and after that, we basically pop the new settings on the turbine and observe the results and hope that it matches up what we did in our simulation, which of course it always does. So, <laughs> so far. What, what kind of results could um, people expect in terms of, you know, um, improvement of efficiency or improvement of um, energy in uh, using your uh, solution? Yeah, so if we take, it depends on the turbine model. So when we started on smaller turbines, they were a bit less optimized to start off with. So I'm talking about sort of 100 kilowatts. That's uh, not really utility scale. We were we were able to achieve between six and ten percent actually improvement in uh, AEP, so that's annual energy production. Now, uh, those numbers may not seem very big, um, but to an operator of the turbine that can actually double their profit because they have a similar profit margin. <laughs> in fact, ten percent probably more than doubles it. But now that we're working on the utility scale turbines, obviously these turbines are a bit more refined. They've been out a bit more work put into them, and uh, we're having we're working on a much more efficient system to start with. We're achieving something on the order of uh, 1.5 to 2.5%, and that's on um, quite a, a famous model of turbine that's used quite extensively in the industry. So that, at the same time as well, we're also reducing the loads on that turbine by about 25%. And that gives a correspondingly very large, you know, several, certainly we think we can achieve several years of additional lifetime potentially on that turbine because of that. Well, now, the two, yeah. two, what that means in terms of money for an operator, sort of one and a half to one percent, um, you're talking in between six and twelve thousand you know, sort of euros a year. Um, so it's that's the that's the kind of figures that we that, we, that we're working on. That's really interesting that you're not just uh, making them more efficient, but you're making them last longer as well. I didn't think about that. Obviously, being more efficient, they they wear out less. Yeah. Um, and does your does your solution take that into account each year, like the wear and tear of the um, the wear and tear of the turbine? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so at the minute we we're kind of doing a, a sort of one shot optimization, and that means we basically we put new settings on the turbine, and that's it for the moment. But then we could then revisit that turbine, like you say. So say every, even once a year, maybe it could be every couple of years. And as that turbine ages, its components change slightly. Um, there'll, be, there'll be more incremental improvements in that case. But yeah, we could continue to optimize it and tweak those settings and keep improving it. And also the other thing is we think we can actually lower it even 2% in this turbine. We know if we can overcome a few issues to do with one of the components, it's the power converter, we can actually get up to... We, we're confident we can reach 4% improvement in that turbine. And although those, again, as I say, those numbers, 4% sound small, but anyone who knows anything about the wind turbine industry will know that that's pretty exciting for the people who are running those turbines. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. Um, really, you know, interesting to hear. And energy is obviously a hot topic at the moment. So any savings we can make or any kind of maximizing it is is excellent. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question. Um, I 
which is more based around our strategy and around the AI strategy. So I'm going to start with Katie um, uh, to bring back the um, AI accelerator into the conversation a little bit. So our uh, the foundations of the Scottish AI Alliance work uh, around the, the pillars of the strategy, which was trustworthy, ethical and inclusive AI. So how important do you think these three tenants are, you can just choose one, you don't have to go into all three, Katie, uh, when developing AI and other technological solutions. And, you know, how did you take these kind of issues into account when you're picking your themes? I mean, I think they're hugely important. Um, I don't think anyone would really argue with that. It's it's kind of what they actually mean and when you start to, to unpick them, because they are also quite difficult to pin down as concepts. Um, certainly, we took it into account in the selection exercise. And in fact, moving away slightly from the climate theme, two of the, or one of the companies rather, we have in the um, AI for Good uh, theme is particularly looking at creating a platform for software developers to increase the transparency and reduce the bias in the algorithms that they're developing. So we, we have definitely taken that into account um, as part of the selection exercise. Um, I think it's also difficult around about the, the language. So from a trustworthy perspective, the language that we use is is, is quite important in um, communicating what we're doing in a way that, that doesn't sound like the robots are coming, <laughs> um, albeit in, in, in Amy's case, we hope they are. <laughs> um, and ethical, well, I mean, it, again, it's a difficult concept to pin down. Oftentimes, training data has got inherent bias. And I think particularly when you're, you're working with data about people, understanding the provenance, the quality, the, the gaps in the data sets, um, and then working around that are really important. So having like ethical principles also kind of relates to the sort of fairly dull mundane stuff, which is sort of good data management practice. Um, but that point that I was making about the company who are um, engaged in making sure that algorithms can kind of be more transparent, um, it's that thing about transparency and accountability also. Can you explain why a certain decision was taken and who's going to be accountable if the wrong decision is taken? So, so building all that into what we're doing um, is also important. And I had a conversation recently with someone who was, who was making the point of, well, if a human gets something right 60% of the time and the algorithm gets it right 80% of the time, why wouldn't we move to, to that algorithm? But I think there are a lot of conversations around about the sort of the distribution of error and if if that if you if you make it better but the people who who the machine gets wrong are all black people or they're all people of a certain ethnic minority or, or whatever it is and it's it's the distribution of error that we need to kind of look at and and so therefore i guess i'm just saying i think yes these are important but they are they are very complex issues and i think making them um tangible instead of because they are quite inherently broad concepts is, is what's important to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, really getting down and figuring out what they mean and what they mean to specific people, because it can mean very different things to different people. Um, so talking of what it means to different people, I'll hand it over to Amy. What do you think in terms of um, those three tenants, trustworthy, ethical and inclusive, and how important to, you know, any of these three, you don't have to focus on them all, on um, the work that Danny Robotics does? Yeah, so I think it's really important to a particular, the, particularly the trustworthy side thing. We did spend a lot, a lot of time 
verify uh, our machine learning model to make sure it has a really high accuracy identify these items. And uh, when we complete our analysis, we would assign the results to our potential customers to illustrate. We are not just uh, using a existing model and play it on the data collected from your site. We actually have people looking into this data, looking into the training data, validation data, and the testing data to make sure our model is performing well and is identify certain visa items with very high accuracy. And I don't think this work will reduce through time. We will continually having people to verify the model and the testing the model through the, the lifetime of the company or the product. And also in terms of inclusive, it's that through our conversation with our potential customers, they are very, very keen and very interested in AI and the robotics. And um, for example, a few people from council, the management, they are very excited saying, wow, we never saw the robotics and AI will come to the council and help us to recycle the waste. So I really feel there is a huge potential for AI and the robotics to make the life better, not just for people, for society, also for the environment. It's, it's an amazing tool to really depend how we going to use it. Thanks very much, Amy. You know, very, um, your enthusiasm shined through again on the kind of the, the potential of AI and, you know, building trust in systems. So um, over to you, Richard, on that same question, you know, trustworthy, ethical, inclusive, what do they mean to you and, and uh, re-optimize systems? Well, I mean, certainly for the people who are going to be using the results of, of, of our system, trust, trusting those results is absolutely critical. And, you know, we've had to work incredibly hard to, you know, build that trust with our potential, our potential clients because they've got, you know, extremely expensive pieces of equipment. Um, they don't necessarily fully understand the, the details of the control system. So they have to trust us that we are you know, doing something good to that turbine. Now, that just means that we have to, we've proven it in the field and obviously getting over that first hump was the hardest <laughs> of getting onto a pilot turbine. But yeah, we, we, it's absolutely critical for us that we can uh, demonstrate that what we are doing on the turbine can be trusted because they cannot afford to lose production because of something that we're doing. They can't afford for the turbine to be damaged. And it's yeah, absolutely critical for them that it's, um, you know, can be trusted 100%. Um, now, at least luckily, we're not dealing with huge amounts of personal data or anything like that. So we don't have those kind of ethical concerns. But yeah, we have to be really sure that um, we are doing the best thing for the turbine and be able to show that yes yeah, a demonstration again to build trust that's very you know very important with any kind of ai or um technological system but it seems like you're both doing pretty well at it um at the moment so the final question i'm going to head back to katie uh to go back to more kind of ai accelerator um and just to see 
you know, last last time you were on the podcast, we did a kind of passing the baton from an old cohort to a new cohort. So I guess we don't have someone from the old cohort this time. But as you've seen a few um, cohorts go by, Katie, what's your kind of um, recommendations for um, Amy and Richard and, you know, advice on starting with the AI Accelerator program? Yeah, I have. This is, this is my, although it's the sixth cohort, um, it's the third cohort that I've been involved in. And I think um, it's like having a baby because having a business is like having a baby <laughs> because lots of people will give you lots of different bits of advice, but ultimately you have to make the decisions. Um, so so my advice will be taken with, with that pinch of salt along with everyone else's. But in terms of approaching the accelerator and, and using that, I think definitely approaching it with the mindset of, of, of a growth mindset, basically of, you know, being open to, 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 to everything and then making your decisions about what, what pieces of advice you take, because we bring along a lot of different people um, with different backgrounds um, who are experts in their own in their own fields, in their own kind of uh, business areas or technical areas even as well. Um, but having that growth mindset and being prepared to be, be criticised, but but take your own, take, take what you can from it, I think is really important. I think Networking um, and collaborating. Networking is a huge thing for, for for us, and it doesn't come naturally to everyone, especially people from a technical background like myself. But I think it it's really important because, especially for startups, it can be a, a lonely place. So finding others who are going through similar issues, um, and finding other people who might be able to fill in your gaps, and especially you know as you start to grow as well, um, finding people who can can be part of your team. And I think customers before technology to some extent. So we, we see some companies that are technology driven and others that are solution driven, where we've got founders coming from the domain area and really kind of knowing that the, the problems that they're trying to solve and, and some who come with a piece of technology. And, and, and those are obviously all valid routes, but you really need to focus on the value that you're adding and the problems that you're solving to, to, to make sure um, that you're going in the right direction because there's no point in building stuff that people don't want and knowing how to address it and and what, what it's going to do, what benefit it's going to bring for your customers is, is key. And don't try and do everything yourself. Thanks very much, Katie. It was really, you know, really good. It's adding adding value, problem solving, all, you know, really good pieces of advice for anyone um, going into business. I'm afraid that's about all we have time for, as I was, which is a shame as I was having such fun picking both of your brains. But um, I'm looking forward to following the progress of the AI Accelerator program and, the, you know, both of your projects over the next um, few months. And, um, yeah, I'd just like to thank you again for coming. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.